0: Welcome to the Stone Conversation podcast, covering everything to do with buying, selling and investing in real estate. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just wanting to start out, Stone Conversations will bring you content to inspire and inform you on your journey. Welcome to the show, everyone. It's Pete Mumford, welcome back. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking to Ben Nastasi. We're talking everything to do with commercial property management today. Ben has had 30 years in commercial property management, He's been working from the likes of Colliers, Jones Lang LaSalle to Savills in senior management positions. Ben constantly assists people with commercial property management, whether it's representing clients or tenants, or strategically managing your commercial and building or shopping centre. Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Wow, well, you've done some research, Peter. Thank you very much. Oh, That's yes, we intro. have our we have our sources. <laughs> Sounds so, <laughs> so, like an idea. <laughs> so,
0: Ben, digging into that with our sources, I I discovered another little treat that apparently before real estate, you were in radio broadcasting. What's the story oh. there?
1: <laughs> you have you have had your hounds looking haven't you? Yes, yes, Peter, we did have a life in uh, radio um radio is actually a fun medium you learn quite a lot of things Peter, including how to you know talk to people um because you've only got a small window especially music radio small window window to connect with people um but yeah no we did do a lot of stuff and and it and it laid the foundation to you know to moving into property to dealing with people all, because property real estate is all about people you know and how people how you can help people in different asset classes
0: so the, the question i want to delve into then a bit more i mean you've gone from radio then you've ended up working in jones langwood and now jl and colliers international sales and so on um the question so you've evolved to that but it was obvious that was how many years ago was that ben that you evolved into Uh,
1: i think i I was in the arc with nowhere actually peter um (laughs) (laughs) it was a long time ago um so I was in, I was working in radio in Canberra at the time. I uh, was one of the, the original final members of FM 104. I think it's called 104.7 in Canberra. But we we're also doing some work uh, with uh, the Canberra Centre, which is owned by the Queensland Investment Corporation. QIC is the, is the abbreviation. And we were, got got into that shopping centre thinking, well, what's going on here? You know, There's all these shops here and they're all paying rent. And it's a return on investment What's all this about? So I was very intrigued. So when I finished uh, my uh, degree, I ended up with a master's degree in property and property investment and, um, and development and um, understood the mechanics behind shopping centres. It's such an interesting beast, um, whether you're a little investor that has a little shopping centre, which might be a uh, Woolworths-based or a Coles-based or a supermarket-based, to you know these great big greets. Um, and pretty much there's a lot of um, same fame that goes on in the analysis to making sure that you get the right return on investment. So it is an intricate uh, investment strategy.
0: So, so Ben, when we're talking about that, I mean, obviously, we would have a variety of listeners today. We, We may very well have some people that do own a shopping centre and could be listening, so we're going to be speaking to a broad audience today. But equally, we could have people thinking, I don't own any commercial property, and how does how does that gig work? And how do I get started? And what sort of returns should I expect? So maybe we can start off first with with that. If I'm a landlord and I'm thinking, hey, I'd like to, you know, own my own shop, or I'd like to own a couple of commercial shops. What it, what sort of returns are, should I be expecting out there to be looking at?
1: Um, that's a really good question, Peter. I, it's not the same thing for everybody. You know, it's just like you've got to you've got to be thinking that. For example, let's look at their real estate investment uh, trust funds, or the REITs. They may have outcome-driven, you know, five percent, ten percent return, but they spread the risk. It might be in you know shares, and it might be in commercial property, mixed-use developments. It might be you know a, a row of shops along a commercial strip. It might be even housing. The overarching success is to have that return on investment: ten percent, fifteen percent, twenty percent, whatever the mandate is if you use the same principle, if you're a small investor, what do I want to get out of it? So if I've got maybe my own home that I own, I might have an investment unit. How do I leverage off getting a commercial shop? And it might be in a strip in the suburbs somewhere. What do you need to do? How do you do it? If of course, there's many ways that you can get finances to give you money. But it's your personal outcome. Are you going to park it in a trust fund and just take the benefits day in and day out, you know, the rent that is, and with a, you know, an increase every year? Or are you going to get in, add some value, flick it on, next one? It's it's not the same thing for everybody. Yeah. So I, I think we need to understand that, that that's the first nucleus of watching it for me. What do I really want it?
0: Because there's a lot of variety. I, I know you've mentioned to me, and, I, and I, I'm not. I don't say that I fully understand commercial. I've owned a couple of commercial shops over the year, but I've been in that small mum and dad investor style, which I was sort of chasing in those days around 7.5% return. Now, I I found this just my own small personal experience. Um, My cash flow was, was very good compared to residential, but I didn't necessarily get the same capital gain out of residential. Would that be a normal sort of thing in that small, you know, shopping centre strips where you own one or two shops? Is that generally how it plays out?
1: Pretty much, Peter, it is. At the end of the day, I think one of the most things with you know suburban shopping strips or town centers is to find, do the analysis work. Now, when I say that, I mean that to our Resi brothers and the Resi agent brothers and our Resi family owners is that if you want to get into commercial property, What is the point of difference in a retail strip? Whether it's in a suburb, whether it's in a town center, whether it's in a metropolitan area. If you want a good rate of return, you need to do the analysis work. And by that I mean, it's find the gap in the market. Now, you might hear marketeers saying that, oh, you know, bring a product to market, find the gap in the market and fill the the hole and away you go. It's the same, I believe, this is personal opinion, it's the same philosophy. If you're looking for a good return, what is missing in a suburb? What is it? Is there a commercial entity that's not there? Is there a blue chip tenant that's not there? Is it a local food services that's not there? Or is it just a, you know, a dental service or whomever? Whatever the retail offer is, an agent, an accountant, a real estate firm, a stone real estate office, for example. Something like that needs to then yield you a return. With that, if you're able to get a consistent cash flow over time, when you do what's called a rate of return or the internal rate of return and measure the performance over a period of time, um, you then know that at a given point in the cycle, you're going to sell that property and it's going to yield you a percentage, a cap rate, whether it's 7%, 8%, 9%, 6%, whatever the number is, it's always predicated on you know, the tenure and who the tenant is. Because valuers look at both of those in conjunction with one
0: another and i think it's this very is, um,
1: important
0: oh sorry ben coming there but i think no. this is um you know just and i understand some of these con- concepts because we do chat a bit but and as i said i've owned a couple but for a lot of people this would be gobbledygook and i think this is really important why some people should speak to people like yourself um, which we don't again we don't necessarily think of this we think we jump from being residential investors going oh I like the idea of that. It's 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 five or a seven percent return, whatever I'm getting on that. Or it might be a, where you have your premises and you want to secure where you are, and you you buy the shop, you know, for where you have your own business. But I think to get the right advice, and, and I know too, because you represent not only do you represent landlords, you also represent tenants. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it, it, we we do we do Peter. We we've got quite a number of tenants, whether they're um, you know uh, independent or international tenants. Uh, you know, bound by confidentiality, so I won't go on to, into all of that. And they all are looking for market exposure, looking for a place to have to park their business to, you know, get a cash flow coming in. So they, they've got a criteria. But look, I, I think it, it's it's worthy to point out, having from a residential point of view, it's an emotive sale. And I don't mean this disrespectful to anyone at all. It's all emotion, you know. Um, I need my kitchen in this location. You're selling a dream to someone because they're gonna live there. It's emotive. When it comes to commercial, I think the emotion is taken out. It becomes purely a P and L. Does it work or doesn't it work? Am I gonna be constrained by a state or territory legislation or I'm not? Can I, you know, divide a wall out of the value that all of a sudden I bought that shop for X and I can sell it tomorrow for Y with an upside of seven, eight, 10, 15, 20%, whatever the number is. You need that strategic intent to understand how the analysis works. And yes, you're right. We do that for both the landlord and we also do that for, for a tenant's point of view as well. And some of the bigger players, um, especially a lot of the international tenants, they have a very stringent uh, requirement that it needs to work for them; otherwise, they're not going
0: to even have a look. So I guess this is where, again, getting the right advisor on your team, whether that's helping you find, you know, a tenant, or you're a large tenant and you need some advice, having that strategic advice is just so vital because we could certainly make a lot of big mistakes, especially even buying our own small shop. well
1: um, oh, absolutely, absolutely, Peter. You know, the the the, the trick for the, the the trick, for the want of a better term. The trick for this is to make sure that you get a win-win for everyone. Because it's pointless if it's all one-way direction. And when I'm saying that, you know, the old cliche about getting the right peg to fit in the right hole, it's pointless trying to put a a square peg to fit into a a round hole. It just doesn't work. So if the tenant needs to get an outcome and the landlord needs to get an outcome, it needs to be a win-win predicated of course that the the zoning in the area allows that outcome. So, you know, councils all over Australia, not just not just in Australia, globally we've we found it. They've all got their own quirky ways of doing things. But if we can get a win win, it could be very profitable and lucrative businesses. We know in our world um, that we've had some people that have started off with, you know, one residential home um and without breaking again confidentiality. Um, One in particular who comes to mind probably has a portfolio of about 30 residential homes. Now, about 15 commercial shops and probably two strata buildings and I think one shopping centre from memory. So, and that's all been in the in the space of about 10
0: years. Right. So on that about the win-win, what what sort of what really needs to occur there for everyone to sort of when you're talking about the win-win, what do you mean, or what needs to occur for all the
1: stakeholders? Okay, so if the tenant needs market presence and you're in a, let's call it a suburban strip, are you able to give them what they need? Parking at the back, visual traffic, high traffic area at the front, um, signage exposure. Uh, Are you able to provide them then whatever their their requirements are, whether it's a food tenant, it might be an exhaust or it might be a kitchen or it might be a seating area, outdoor dining. So if you tick all these requirements, take targeted tenant's requirements, you park that to one side of the ledger, and then from the landlord's point of view, you say, okay, well, if it's gonna cost me X amount of dollars to, let's keep the math simple, Peter, if it's gonna cost me a million dollars to buy that commercial site, and I have to spend $250,000 to make it compliant for my tenant to come in and pay me 100 grand, well, for five years in perpetuity, maybe five, ten years, whatever I can get in. When you get to a valuer, if it's a blue chip tenant, the yield on that money, on that hundred grand, actually starts making sense. It's very scientific. It's very, very scientific. So that means that the tenant wins; they get their exposure, and you, as the investor, the owner of the uh, the, uh, the property, are also getting your rate of return. And the yields so are at any given point in time. If you want to get out and sell it, you've got something to sell.
0: And obviously, that's important because a lot of investors are sometimes wanting to, you know, improve improve the location, get the next tenant either on sale or go out and borrow again and do it again, as long as the bank approves. So, Absolutely. Uh, so I understand did, a bit we, more around the win win.
1: We did, we did, we did uh, one not so long ago in a very um, affluent area in Sydney, um, where uh, a major uh, brand, national brand, uh, who has a liquor offer, uh, decided they had problems getting into this quirky location. And um, we were able to find them the area that they needed. We were able to then get them into the space they needed. They spent a bucket load of money to do the shop because they are there for a long time. And uh, our client got in on the ground floor, bought this um, shop, fairly reasonably, and then has transacted and made quite a big windfall within 18 months. Um, and, of course, the tenant is happy because they were, were trying forever to get into, those loca- into that location and they did get it. And our client was very happy because they had a blue chip tenant in their location and has made a gazillion dollars and moved on to the next.
0: So, Ben, I, I might just jump on to a few more questions. And uh, This is, I guess, to give some people a guide that, Maybe considering, you know, residential, I know you sort of touched on this already because it's from a residential compared to commercial and retail, but maybe for our listeners, for those that aren't, didn't pick that up, maybe the differences, like, you know, obviously they're not all the same. Most people would, go, would get that. But there is some big differences between, as you said, around looking, it's all about numbers and cents, but maybe a couple of key points between resident, let's say commercial real estate, uh, retail, etc. cetera.
1: Peter, look, it is. I, I, I still think the mechanics of property or real estate are the same. It's all about people, people. But you, we need to understand what people's outcomes. You know, I, I, I've said this to quite a number of teams over the years, and I don't mean any disrespect to any doctors or specialists that are listening, please, please, please. I want to qualify that right from the word go. If we're feeling cook, we'll go to the generalist doctor. And the doctor will say, yeah, you're feeling crook, some antibiotics, go home or get well or go to bed and have a panadol, no problems. If the pain persists over a period of time and it's out of the generalist doctor's scope, that doctor will always refer you to a specialist. So if you then have a problem with your ear, nose and throat, you then make an appointment, you spend the money to go and see it, see the, the, the specialist and then the, whatever the outcome is, the diagnosis and the prognosis is you accept because you want to get better. So if you use the same principle, the mechanics of property are the same. It's all about people, but you need to understand what the key driver is for a person. Is its it a, I want to hang on to something for a long time, or do I want to add some value? You know, buy a little investment that, you know, I can add some value to it, get a tenant and click it on and go to my next or do I want to put it in a trust account in perpetuity? Or do I want to put it in a superannuation fund? Whatever it is, there's got to be a driver because this comes back to people. And as real estate agents, which is what we are, that's what we do. We, we, we talk to people. We understand what their needs are. The, the trick is to then convert them and working alongside of the person to get them to realise their goal.
0: So, question though, just drilling a bit more. Residential people do get a bit emotional, and they look at a lower yield generally compared to commercial. Correct? Yes. Okay. Now, within that commercial space, we've got like commercial shops, strips. You've got, I guess, um, uh, strata. You've got uh, retail, retail strips, retail real estate, shopping centres, um, office space. It's very varied, isn't it, and how would you know where to start? I mean again again, you're probably going to tell me you've got a what's your outcome and what do you want to make, but I guess this is when you sit with people, do you go if say I came to you, Ben and I said, look, I don't know where to invest <laughs> meaning, but I know all these things exist, meaning in the commercial world um, and and I, let's say let's take a figure. let's say I had three million bucks to invest where would what area? Would you direct someone, let's say me, which I'm getting close to 60, then use the test case. This may be good for people that may be chasing yield, I guess. You go, well, I've yep. got some capital. I'm a bit older or I'm going to sell some residential and I'm going to free it up and I want to park $3 million. And, I, and let me just say, though, I'm looking for more yield because I want money to live on. I'm not necessarily worried about the capital. Where, where should I look?
1: Well, first of all, I, I don't believe that you're getting close to sixty. Someone told me you're about 32, right? So I don't know where you got that number from. But, in my uh, mind. <laughs> it all works. It's all good. No, it's all relative. So to us, my first engagement with you, Peter, is let me understand what you want to do. Now, you, you told me that you want to chase yield. You want some money to live on. So you're not in the business with your $3 million of saying, I want to just get it, add some value and move on. Add some value so that next year it becomes three and a half million dollars or four million dollars.
0: Yeah, that'll be my I'm next question. Training. We'll come to that in a minute, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you that in a minute. But yeah, so where would I go if I was like chasing yield and I got three million, you know, roughly? What, where, what would you advise me or guide me to to look at?
1: My, again, now that I know what you want, I'll be saying, okay, we'll have a look at this retail investment or an industrial investment. If you do industrial this is this is what's happening at the moment in the industrial world. if you're doing strata, this is what's happening at the moment, if you're doing retail investment, this is what's happening at, so on and so forth because at the end of the day you have your own preference for an investment class right this is what they I go back I'll go back to what I said previously about the, the REITs. They spread their risk right across and shares as part of their, their portfolio absolutely to get an ultimate outcome, but they have an appetite for all investment and asset classes. When it comes to individual, it's pointless Mm to me trying to say to you, Peter, go to a strata building when you're going, no, then I don't get it. I don't get it, I don't get it. I can work with you to the cows, come home, as the cliche says, but if it's not you, it's not you. What I might be able to say to you is Peter, in that strata building, okay, I'm not saying to you, look at the, the units above. But there might be two or three little shops underneath. If you were able to knock, if you were to buy those and knock them all out there and put, say, a blue chip anchor tenant, let's call it Woolworths, Coles, IGA, Aldi, any of those type of guys in there, if it fits their profile and you're able to get them in there, there's a return on investment and you will go to get for 15, 20 years, whatever the lease term is, money in perpetuity.
0: So you really look at um, not just the current site but maybe what, that person could do with that site to get a better tenant than where they are by the sound of it.
1: Correct, correct. See, so, uh, look, again, in our world, and I, a lot of my uh, commercial brothers and sisters will be telling you that we we sometimes still scratch our heads how planning laws all over Australia have, you know, requirements that offer beaten track off the town centre, the hub of the town centre, they expect that mixed-use developments have commercial space. How many times have we gone across all of Australia been through the middle of a retail hub or a town center, and then you know maybe a couple of blocks away, there's you know a mixed-use development with empty shops. It's not a good look, Peter. It's not a good look. And that comes back to planning. We don't have 300 million people in Australia, like America or one of those big countries, uh, where they go, yeah, every block needs to have people living above and underneath some shops that make sense. We don't have that. And I think a lot of planning laws across Australia need to really take that in in, in, on board because the town centres then you're just you're you're absolutely diluting it. Um, So I think the point of matter is that you need to then say what is missing in it and then delivering it for your right outcome.
0: I have another question now for you. Questions around strata and mixed use. Are they the same Ben? What's the difference?
1: Are they the same for strata and mixed use? Yeah, what's the difference? Well, there is a bit of a difference. This is purely opinion. Strata, if you're talking for commercial strata, is it shops above and commercial space above? If it's Resi above and if it's then commercial space or retail space underneath, there is a difference because there's a different application. However, a developer or an investor needs to understand what the end game is, if you like. Do you want to have the shops underneath? Well, that needs to have a different application. To just building units on the top, but unfortunately, developers again are predicated by you know zoning requirements in and around land all over Australia, and they're going, oh, let's so get another level. Then we better give them another you know little shop underneath, and you know no one's going to lease, <laughs> but we've got another level above because we understand that. So the two they can correlate, but they are very different methodologies that need to be applied to.
0: Is that when, you, when you're when talking around mixed use, just say we've got residential above and shops underneath, is that very much advising developer and guiding them on what you think would be the best use of shops for that area that is also going to be appealing to the tenants above?
1: Yeah, look, Peter. again, I, I'd like to, we've said to quite a number of our clients, is look, get us in on the ground floor. Um, we want to help you to realise, think of it as the window to your shop. Okay. now we, we look at some of those high streets over in Europe what do they attract you know they're exciting windows there's moving there's animation there's color there's blah 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 etc you know there's you know merchandise that keeps turning over it, it's enticing to the eyes if we're able to say to um, to a developer get us in an early and help us and let let us help you identify what's required in this next use development so it becomes the window to your building you should have a Successful outcome on the other side of the of the development. If you don't do that, you're going to have empty shops underneath and maybe poorly designed empty shops. Peter, I you think. know, you can have a concrete beam in the middle of a shop window. Yeah. Then no I've one's ever that. going to lease that yeah. shop. Yeah, I have seen How many that. times I do we see that? Yeah, yeah, because when think. we if I was, I was just about to say, to get us in early, we were able to say, well, well why don't you move that, you know, concrete pillar about five metres back <laughs> It is and get phenomenal right isn't with it right yeah. Yeah, yeah, how they
0: get designed into that. You go, what were they thinking? Well, obviously, they weren't thinking at the time that the architects, whoever. Um, on different state and territory legislation, um, does it change much? Um, how does that legislation prevent investing and so on, or is it the same?
1: Well, look, as we know, under the Commonwealth, you know, every state, Let's call it every state because the territories are an extension of the Commonwealth government. Yeah. Um, but every state has its own sovereign part. You know, look at the moment, it's what, what the, state of the states of Australia are doing with the COVID, de- 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 you know, decisions who can get into a state and who can't get out because they have the right to do that under their own state legislation. So their planning laws again predicated on their state and their zoning. So some of them might say, you know, let's have, make this the town centre and we make that the, the residential hub and we make that the commercial hub. So that, there are differences because there's no uniformity. It's not one size fits all. So I think the trick, though, for an investor is once upon a time, they used to take that into account. So if you're looking for, we've got retail um, shopping centre investors. That used to play an absolute major part. Not anymore. They'd say, okay, what do we need? We need a, an anchor tenant that's going to guarantee us income for the next you know, fifteen years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever the the deal is. Um, and then oh yes, the zoning permits us to put more shops or less shops or cut it up or make it bigger or make it smaller for us to get a return on investment. So we've come in at X price in three years time, we put some more money along along the way and it's worth why if we want to sell this this thing. So again it goes back to the zoning. The zoning is very important and those astute investors go, okay, let's Let's make sure that we understand the zoning of every area that we're in so that we know what our ultimate outcome is. I have one so last
0: question. Important. Thank you, sure. Ben. Thank you. <laughs> I have one last question because you're wealth <laughs> knowledge. I mean, just generally, <laughs> from from the right sort advisor like yourself, um, and this is what I'm trying to get through to people on our podcast, is that we don't have to have all the answers and we're not expected. We just use, as you were saying about doctors, you go to one thing, you go to special or something else. In property, you need to be using specialists like the likes of Ben, people in the commercial space, for that commercial guidance. Um, as we said, if you're a residential, I interviewed Michael Yardney the other day, and you know, if you were looking to build your residential investment portfolio, though he has a broad range of services, um, you would go and speak to Michael and get him to help you source the location, where it is, and so on. I don't think enough of us do this, but we need to because it's a very involved marketplace property. We just think. We all should know everything about it, but th- hopefully through these uh, uh, podcasts, Ben, we're sharing this knowledge and people are going, "Oh, I better go and talk to someone like Ben." So, Ben, how do you? Gen- what sort of advice do you provide to, uh, to investors and clients? What do you? How do you normally work with people? I mean, obviously it's a broad spectrum from you know the, the mum and dad investor like myself that wants to buy their butcher shop example, <coughs> right through to someone that um, may be investing on a group of a family and they want to buy a small shopping centre in value. What are the services you offer to help them with
1: this? So, Pete, I'll answer that question going back to the start of this interview when we had this podcast, when you asked me about radio. In radio, I had to learn very, very quickly that it's a one-on-one medium. While there's a gazillion people listening to you, you need to be able to transact one-on-one, out-of-mouth to one set of ears listening, so they feel like they're just having a an intimate moment with you. I learned that in radio all those years ago, and some of those... Um, high-profile announcers and who are still friends of mine, um, will still tell you the same thing. It's an intimate thing. So basically, use the same with property. Use the same with real estate. Understand one-on-one what your end game is. If you're wanting to invest for the long period of time, well, it's one application. If you want to invest or get in and get out, it's a different application. But it comes back to the individual. I can't make the choice for you, Peter. I can only help you to, to realise your outcome.
0: So your services, though, that you guide people on that journey, and I've noticed here and when I have read a bit of your bio, um, you represent tenants, um, out landlords. Yeah. You manage yeah. commercial, shopping centres, um, yep. um, and so on and so on and so on. So it's a broad spectrum, isn't it, there, that you can guide someone through how to buy the right investment, finding out what's important to them. Um, you can help with tenant representation. Um, You also work for large groups that have um, what do you call them, Ben? Where they have the appointed uh, person. Institutional.
1: So, (coughs) so we've got institutional's, and we've also got in our in our world uh, at the moment we've also doing what's called advisory roles. So, um, when I say advisory roles, by that I mean there might be uh, you know someone gives you a plan or says, okay, we want to build you know X in this zone over here, so the council will allow us to do you know, one of those. Can you give us a plan, can you give us an idea of what kind of rate of return we're gonna get there if we build a mixed-use development or if we build a shopping centre or if we build a commercial building or if we build a skyscraper, whatever the zoning permits. We can do the what-if scenarios to see what the outcome's going to be. But then it comes back ultimately, so that's an advisory role for me to you say, Peter, but then it becomes back to you, what's your appetite? It's up to you to make the final decision. I can't make it back for you. So,
0: Ben, I want to thank you for today. It's been a lot thank of info you. to digest. <coughs> Excuse me, coughing there. Um, what I'd like to do in the thank future, you. maybe it's some of our further uh, chats with you, We might be good to drill into a real case scenario example. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm the investor. I'm going to buy my butcher shop. What should I, what should I do? Where do I go? The actual, the actual I,
1: step. I, 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 I'd love to do that, Peter. And if, and if, and if appropriate, maybe we can even... You know, get one of our clients on board and have a bit of a chat to you and give you an idea of, you know, where where they started to where they are at the moment and where they're moving forward and we're we're part of the journey we've been along the way, running alongside them, um, to get them to realise their ultimate end game, you know? So and everyone's different. And so so bad real estate, yeah.
0: just while we wrap up now for say, but if someone wants to talk to you pick your brain or get you to consult with them how do they get hold of you what's the best way uh,
1: best way look just i think zero four one three double one five six five seven zero four one three double one five six five seven excellent or ben at ahr ben at ahr
0: well look thanks ben and i do look forward to appreciate your time because i know you're always flat out talking to someone every time i you, you're on the <laughs> phone, but appreciate your time. And I look forward in the future to sharing some more in depth things about commercial property because I think it's something that us residential investors don't know enough about, but it would be good to open our minds to. So, look, Ben, Pete, thank you again. Thank
1: you, Peter. Thank you, Peter, for the opportunity. And I look forward to uh, talking to you and the g- good people in the Stone Group. Thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Stone Real Estate Conversation podcast make sure you visit us at stonerealestate.com.au. Now, if you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcast player. While you're at it, if you found value in the podcast and the conversations on today's show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply make sure you tell a friend about the conversation we had. Be sure to join us on our next episode with more information on buying, selling and investing in real
1: estate. Bye for now.